When uh, Ruth and I were first married, um, we were invited onto one of these care for the family uh, marriage courses. It was a short marriage course, and uh, we went along enthusiastic, find out what all this was about, this, this thing we'd st- just stepped into. And uh, we got a set of questions. The first set of questions that we got uh, were very simple. One, the first one was, when is the best time that you communicate? When's the best time that you have a heart-to-heart? And uh, the second question was, when is the worst time? that you communicate. So off I went enthusiastically with my little pen and paper to write down the answer to these questions. Best time to communicate, worst time to communicate. And uh, then we came back and uh, the best time for me to communicate was over a cup of tea. Get a coffee, put the kettle on, get around the table. That is how I'd grown up. That's what we did as a family. Put the kettle on meant let's have a chat. So I would come home and say, uh, Ruth, do you want a drink? Do you want a cup of tea? Do you want a cup of coffee? And she'd say, no thanks. So that was the end of that, and uh, that was the communication was going well. So then she comes along and she says, what's the best time for, for me to communicate? She says, oh, it has to be over a meal. I'm now seriously worried because I'm looking at my answer to question two. The worst time to communicate is over a meal. Um, do not talk to me for the first 10 minutes of a meal. That is food time. The juices are going. It's fill the belly time. I don't listen, hear, or converse in any meaningful way for the first 10 minutes of a meal. I don't know if you relate to that, but uh, that is how I thought life was. And uh, so this was not going well uh, for us, but it was a life-changing conversation uh, that we had. And uh, food and drink is important to us, both physically, but also socially. Um, sometimes emotionally, but also spiritually. And so we have both feasting and fasting. Food can help us and food can hinder us in our communication. I came across a, a quote uh, uh, last year um, which said this. It said, we are to plow furrows in the soils of our hearts. This is about spiritual disciplines. We are to plow furrows in the soil of our hearts in order that the implanted seed of God's word can take root and bear much fruit. These furrows are created when the classic spiritual habits and disciplines that prepare and open the inner life so that the Holy Spirit can do his transformative work. And so the spiritual disciplines, if you like, are like um, plowing furrows. They are like like tilling the soil so that God's word can grow and bring fruitfulness uh, in our lives and his spirit can transform us and and move us into more and more Christ-likeness as well. John Ortberg talks about Christians uh, rather than trying to live the Christian life, training to live the Christian life. And he talks about spiritual disciplines in that sense. The spiritual habits are there to train us as we practice, as we repeat, as we put them into our routines. Just like an athlete, they train us, but they train us in the race of life, how to live out the Christian life that we're called to. And so he argues that spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder, but training more wisely. Uh, when I was running uh, half marathons a few years ago now, uh, I'll be honest, but um, I, I, was in, I introduced myself to some hill training. And uh, these were pretty uh, brutal. So I would find a hill in, in Birmingham, which is challenging enough sometimes, but uh, I'd find a hill in Birmingham for a quarter of a mile and I'd sprint up it and I'd go down, sprint up it again, go down. I didn't particularly enjoy it, I have to say. However, it improved my speed in the longer distances way, way more. So it was, it was a helpful way of training that improved my running. And the Christian life is often described as a long obedience in the same direction. Um, it is the boat of life that we are to live. It's the, it's the keeping going, keeping going uh, in our faith. And so training um, 
is like that. So we can introduce the habits of engagement, like study and prayer and service and worship, as well as the, uh, the habits of um, abstinence, silence, solitude, fasting, um, as we're looking at today. And so fasting is the abstinence from food and drink, generally, for a short time, for a long time. Frequently, uh, or you know, now and again, um, it is mentioned in the Bible quite a lot, more so in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. And sometimes it's translated as to deny oneself, to humble oneself. And uh, we can abstain from many things uh, other than food and drink in our lives. You know, other appetites that we can become, uh, we can become controlled by. So, you know, we talk about screen time today, gaming. We talk about music. We talk about alcohol. Uh, it can be sex. It can be social media. Many, many things that can control our lives that are good to abstain from in, in various capacities to train ourselves um, to be more in control uh, for ourselves. So it's also important, particularly, I think, in today's culture, to understand and have a healthy perspective on food. Um, because positively, going without food and maybe just drinking some water is a healthy thing to do anyway. Uh, a lot of people try it in January, don't they, after Christmas, after the excesses of New Year, whatever. Um, it's called a detox. Um, negatively, though, going without food can be quite destructive to our bodies and to our minds. You know, when we start to analyze every single type of food, we can become controlled by that. Um, we can be scared of eating anything or drinking something convinced it's going to harm us, obviously apart from the allergens of today. Um, but to stop eating certain foods can deprive our bodies of important nutrients. So it's helpful and re reminder to know that food is a gift from God. Genesis 1.29 speaks of all the seed-bearing plants. Genesis 9 verses 1 to 4 speaks of the fish and the animals that are given as food. Food is a gift from God. Yes, there are always excesses and there might be ethics around some of that, but fundamentally food is a gift from God. And eating properly and taking regular exercise are both important for our well-being and for our bodies and for our minds. And yet we can become obsessed with food and we can become obsessed even with exercise. Um, and I think both of those extremes are very prevalent in today's culture um, as we become very image-obsessed uh, in our world. And they lead to all the eating disorders that we see, the, the bulimias, the anorexias, whatever. And so we can become obsessed with our appearance and we can begin to believe the lies about our appearance that leads to self-hatred or false guilt uh, and we turn in on ourselves. So when it comes to fasting, it's really important to ask ourselves, or, or someone else, what is the reason why that we are, we're doing it? Is it for the right reason? Um, if it's to lose weight, that's a diet. Okay? It's not of spiritual value uh, of itself. If it's a religious observance, that's a ritual. So what is real fasting? Um, well, it's really a demonstration of us wanting to uh, determine to be sensitive to God's leadership, leadership in our lives and his leading in our lives. It's an expression of our devotion to him and it expresses our dependence on him, as well as training us to deny ourselves uh, in order to live for Jesus. And when Jesus fasted in the wilderness, following his baptism, um, he said, well, that's my hill running. He said this, he said, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth um, of God. What he's saying here is that physical nourishment is not sufficient for a healthy life. We also need to draw on God's spiritual life um, as well. 
And uh, Jesus here is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. Um, if you know the story, um, the people are out in the wilderness experience. Okay, they've, they've gone out into the desert. And uh, God has actually led them there for some 40 years. God has taken them into this wilderness place. He's taken them there to humble them. He's taken them there to test what is in their hearts, he says. And he actually causes them to go hungry. And uh, we all can naturally crave certain satisfactions in life. We can demand to be full of certain joys. We can refuse as humans to feel empty or be empty in life. And yet we have a God who at times causes us to go hungry. But he does it, if you read the Deuteronomy 8 passage, so that he can feed us and so that he can teach us. God's ultimate will is not to famish us, but to feed us. And he only starves us in order that he can give us something even better. So in Deuteronomy chapter 8, the better is the manna from heaven. It's bread baked in heaven itself. Okay? It's the bread of the angels, um, as it were, which finds its fulfillment ultimately in Jesus, who calls himself the true bread of life. And so when we are weaned off the junk food of this world, Jesus is there and will satisfy our souls with even more. Okay, he has got something even more than the things of this world that often that we look for and, uh, and fill ourselves with. In John chapter 4, uh, Jesus said this. He said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Okay, he had a different perspective on what life was. And he goes on and says, that it is to do with doing the will of God and uh, finishing his work. Okay, the purposes of God. God has got purposes for us that he wants us to walk into. Even Adam and Eve uh, were to abstain from eating from the fruit from the tree of good and evil. And obviously temptation gets the better of them and we see the mess the world is in. It is a healthy thing to abstain from things at times uh, in our lives. We abstain uh, or fast from worldly things so that we might die to the world and live for Christ. And that is an, a continual battle that, that we all have. I also want to draw uh, from uh, quite a well-known passage in the Old Testament and in Isaiah chapter 58 that talks about fasting as well. Because there's some parallels I want to draw out between the two passages um, so that we've got something to take away uh, into our own lives. And um, the three aspects of it is, th is the focus it brings, the freedom it brings, and the fruitfulness um, that it brings. Because in Isaiah's day and in Jesus' day, fasting had become a ritual. It was a religious observance that they performed despite their exploitation of people around them. Okay, they were living a wrong life and yet claiming to be those that fasted, which they were physically, but they weren't doing it right. It was an outward show that was not an inner devotion. And uh, it was supposed to be matched by a life of justice, of love, and of mercy, where you change things around you, the way you live, as well as the things that you do here. However, um, Isaiah's passage in chapter 58 highlights some of the benefits of fasting that are helpful to draw out. When the outer life matches the inner life and is aligned with God's purposes of how we are supposed to live in this world. So the first of those is, is focus. Isaiah 58 verse 9 it says, then you, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. It helps us focus our prayers. So when we fast, it helps us focus our prayers, our calls. 
It intensifies our prayers, our cries for help. So when we fast, whether it's a meal or two meals or three meals, a day or more, um, it's important to have that focus of prayer, to be bringing something to God. You know, what is the main thing that you want to pray into? What is the main focus that you want to bring? So that when you don't have breakfast, that's what you're going to spend the time praying about. When your belly's rumbling at lunchtime, it's going to remind you, that's what I'm praying about. Um, tea, uh, whatever. Use it to pray for those things. And uh, it might be something in your family. It might be an issue in your family that you want to focus on. It may be an issue in your workplace that you decide you want to focus on. It may be uh, something in the church. It may be something in the community, in the nation, in the world. It can be a whole variety of things, but it is helpful to have that focus as we cry out to God. It might be something in your own heart or in your own life. It may be that actually you come with no agenda other than I just simply want to position myself under your leadership, Lord. I want to just put myself under you and show that I depend upon you. And in Acts chapter 14 and verse 23, we see the focus with the leaders. Um, they just appointed some leaders in three churches in what is modern-day Syria, at Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Okay? And they were, that was their focus. They were praying for these leaders uh, of these churches. And then Paul writes a little bit later on to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, and he talks about all the persecutions that he endured in these precise three places. Okay, it was clearly a tough place to minister. It was a tough place to lead these new churches uh, into and out of. Um, and so that was the focus of their prayer with fasting as they committed them to the Lord, as they commended them, as they entrusted these leadership responsibilities uh, to them. And perhaps some of you are starting a new job or a new role or something and uh, a new place of work. And that is a good focus and a good start um, to, to just commend and commit uh, ourselves to God in, having a focus. The second is um, freedom. Uh, verse 6, very familiar um, about the freedom that comes. To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke. And uh, you see, you know, loosing the chains, untying the cords, setting the oppressed free, breaking every yoke. It's all about freedom. Fasting can bring freedom. Now, fasting is not some magical exercise by itself. Okay? It has to be a participation in the gospel. Because it is Jesus who has died for our sin. It is he that has broken the power of sin and death on the cross. It's he that has risen to life. It's in him that we find freedom. It's not in fasting. However, I think it is, as we pray, as we fast, it helps us to stand in that freedom. It helps us to walk in that freedom, um, the freedom that Jesus has already bought for us. Uh, an example from my own life um, is slightly tricky to summarize, as most of our own stories often are. Um, it's also quite personal. Uh, but in my mid-twenties, uh, there was an occasion when I was praying and fasting. And um, I was quite a young Christian. And I had to focus on something entirely different. It wasn't really on myself at all. But um, by the end of the day, I had this bizarre experience of actually feeling very sick, okay, which you wouldn't think would happen when you've not had any food. Okay, but re it was a really deep, down-in-my-guts kind of, kind of nauseousness that I had. And I was praying about it, and I was a little bit confused about it. I don't really know what I'm doing here. And yet, as I prayed about it, I was reminded of an experience I'd had um, several years earlier when I wasn't living quite as, as a good life. Um, and 
I can remember one evening or one night um, becoming, having, uh, been, having a similar feeling in my stomach, that, which is why it took me back to that. And it was a night when I had be, kind of become besotted with this girl. Okay, I'd become almost entranced and infatuated by this girl, a bit like the kind of the sirens of old and the sailors who got taken off onto the, the rocks in the Greek mythology. Maybe that's justifying myself a little bit. But it was that kind of lure that I had, and it had that kind of, kind of pull on me. And so there I am, I kind of praying and trying to pray about this and suddenly realizing that somehow I'd sensed that some sort of lustful entity, if you like, had taken a grip of me somewhere, somehow. Don't understand all of that. However, that got me praying and it got me confessing and it got me repenting. And I came out of that walking free uh, very clearly. And God always wants heart to hearts with us. Okay? He always wants heart to hearts with us. And the wilderness experience like Deuteronomy 8 or when we humble ourselves before him is a place where our hearts are revealed. And what comes out of our hearts is not always very nice. But as they say, it's, it's better out than in. And um, that was the freedom that I got. And a number of things happened after that that just confirmed very personally to me that God had actually done something. Okay, a number of very specific things um, that brought that. So fasting can help us focus. Fasting can help us stand in our freedom. And as the gospel goes out in Acts chapter 14 across Syria, we see people finding that freedom. You know, we see people turning from the world's ways to God's ways. Um, we see them coming free from idols in their lives. We see people are strengthened in verse 22. They're encouraged. They are helped to remain true to the faith. They are helped to go through many hardships. And there's an open door of faith. There's freedom coming to people in a, in a, in a powerful way um, through this. And then thirdly, the third benefit that we read of in Isaiah 58 is about fruitfulness. Verses 11 to 12. True fasting, he says, if this is the case, he says, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. You will rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up the old age foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. And uh, there are massive challenges in our world. You know, we, we look at our world and we go, yes, it's sun-scorched. Yes, it's broken. And uh, we, we get the, the reality of that as we look around. And yet, there is fruitfulness and there is restoration in God. There is fruitfulness and restoration in Christ. Um, guidance, you know, strength, well-watered, how we need that. Builders, repairers, restorers. And I was thinking, you know, even amongst us today, you know, we read builders, repairers, restorers. Some of us literally do that with buildings. You know, that is what we do. We build every day. That's our job. We restore, we repair. For some people here, you do that with people. You know, you're, you're building people's lives. You're repairing people's lives. You're restoring people's lives. For some, it's organizations and systems that you're building and repairing and restoring. For some, it's the community, it's society that we're all involved in building, repairing, and restoring. And, and these are the fruitful things that God wants to, us to walk into. He wants us to step into as we position ourselves under him. We will find that fruitfulness. And here in Acts chapter 14, we also see fruitfulness. Verse 27, they reported all that God had done through them, that he, how he'd opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. 
And in uh, chapter 16 and verse 5, just a couple of chapters later, uh, you can read about how they go back to the very same area and see fruitfulness. It says in chapter 16, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they grew daily in numbers. And so there is that focus of prayer that it brings. There's that standing in our freedom that it brings and it's this fruitfulness that it brings too. But I want to finish with a story that just reminds us of God's grace in all of this. And uh, there's a man one day decides to pray and fast for a day. And so he draws about an hour and a half out of the town uh, away from the city where he lived, just to try and hear God, you know. And sometimes we get so hung up on what we expect God to do on a day like that, you know, what he's got to say to us, how he's got to show us, and we read way too much into everything. Anyway, off he goes. And um, anyway, 15 minutes into it, and um, he's given up. Okay, I can't do this, he says. I, I can't do this. And so he guiltily stops, and he goes off to a pizza place and uh, has a pizza on his day of prayer and fasting and uh, feels an abject failure, drives home, gets home, miserable as anything, goes into his son's bedroom. He's got a a two-month-year-old lad, Zach, picks him up, and he says this. He says, as I was holding him, he felt an incredible love welling up from within him for this little baby boy of his. And he started crying and talking to him. Zach, he says, I love you. I love you with all my heart. No matter what happens in this life, I'll never harm you. I'll always protect you. I'll always be your father. I'll always be your friend. I will always comfort you. I will always nurture you, no matter what you do, no matter whether you turn from me or from God, whether you commit this sin or that sin. And he said he just looked at him and held him with his eyes full of tears. And then all of a sudden, he just sensed God speaking to him. Carl, you're my son, and I love you. No matter what you do, no matter where you go, I will always comfort you. I will always provide for you. I will always make a way. That's the grace of God.